Thank you. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me, please? Thanks, Michael. To um, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, we are going to read for our second Bible reading this morning. We don't usually have two readings in our service. It's not a bad practice. One from the New Testament, one from the Old. For those who agree, please say Amen. amen. 27 people said Amen. <laughs> the passage that Daniel read to us, Philippians chapter 2, has a significant verse in it, which is, I want to, I'll speak on that next Sunday, God willing. Uh, that, that was a, um, the passage initially that I was going to present to this service, um, which is focusing upon the truth that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us both to will and to do with his good pleasure. It's that phrase, God is at work in us and through us and in the world. And that's our theme for today. And it's certainly our mission statement. And then a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, just recently anyway, the Lord took me out of that passage into this passage. And so I'm going to speak on Jeremiah 29 this morning and Philippians 2 next Sunday. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because, and particularly for the first 28 chapters, he's been a prophet of warning and of weeping and telling God's people they needed to repent, they needed to change their ways and they were virtually ignoring him and not listening to him. And now, just as Jeremiah had predicted, the Lord always keeps his word, the Babylonians had to come, 605, 597, third time 587 and taken off significant leaders to Babylon. It's where Daniel goes and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah and all those Bible names that you're familiar with. And once this has happened, when we come to 29, there is a sudden change of tune. Jeremiah is no longer preaching condemnation and judgment. In 29, and for the next three or four chapters, it's more of an upbeat, it's more positive. And there's demonstrations of grace and of mercy and God's promises and his blessings. And this is a letter, Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 14. This is a letter that Nehemiah the prophet wrote. It's the instigation of the Lord said, I want you to write to my people over there. And this is what I want you to tell them, how they are to live while they are in exile. A passage and the truths that are relevant for us, for we too are in exile followers of the Lord Jesus. This is Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to their dreams. Uh, the dreams. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord does declare. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. It's a great passage, isn't it? It's got lovely promises in it, and particularly verse 11. And you, some of you may very well either know this verse off by heart, or you may even have it on a plaque or on a journal or whatever. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And the most common mistake that is made with that verse is that people take it personally, they take it individually, as if God is saying that to them individually. Well, that's a distortion of the context. The promise is not to us personally, individually. The promise is to us as his people. This is his plan for us, his covenant people. He's going to prosper us. He's not talking about our individual life experiences, but he's talking rather about what God's intention is in the world and through his people. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the work of your spirit in this world. And we pray that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, might now take your word and show us your son and show us his plan, his purpose, his intention for us as a church as we endeavour to follow him faithfully and submissively. Lord, as we have sung, please speak to us, shape us by your word that we might be a people who are pleasing and available to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Our focus for this year is going to be on our mission statement. Our mission statement. What is our mission statement? You should all know our mission statement by now. <laughs> to work with God in transforming people into... Most people get the last bit. Passionate followers. Got that bit down. Um, that's our mission statement. And that doesn't change. Through all of the events and activities that we'll be involved in until the Lord Jesus comes, that's the mission that he has given us. And in fact, that's the mission he has given all of his people worldwide. Churches may use different words and different phrases, but that's it. That's the Great Commission. That's to work with Jesus, going into the world, making disciples, baptising them, teaching them to obey everything. And we say it this way. We want to work with God in what he's doing, in transforming people, us and them, into being passionate followers of Jesus. We want to be passionate about him. Did Australia win the soccer last night? Did we? Oh, some of you are passionate about soccer. I'm um, not. Did you see the tennis? Serena Williams won. Did you see the election? Don't talk about it. And did you see, um, what's his name, uh, Murray is going to win the men's tennis tonight? <laughs> Some people are passionate about sports. We all have passions about different things. But we as a church believe, and God certainly wants us to be passionate about him. Passionate about other things as well, but certainly passionate about Jesus, loving him. And so over the next three years, this year, we're focusing on the first phrase, um, to work with God. That's our theme, our focus for this year, working with God, and we'll flesh that out in a minute. 
The second phrase next year, God willing, is going to be transforming people. We'll look at that whole process of transformation. And then 2017, we'll focus about being passionate followers of Jesus, unpacking that and defining that and explaining that and checking is that where we are at individually, personally and so on. So this year, just the first phrase of our mission statement is our focus. We want to be a church and people who are working with God. If we're going to do that, um, then we certainly need to understand certain things. We need to understand theologically that God is the one who initiates the work, that he is the one who goes before us, that he softens hearts and changes hearts. As you read the Bible, you'll read encounters of how God was at work in the world. You've got Moses walking along one day and suddenly he sees a bush which is not burning and that's just God getting him attention. I don't know anybody else has seen a burning bush and I don't expect that there ever will be, but there'll be lots of duplications of that sort of experience where God will get your attention. He'll put you in a situation where he'll speak to you and challenge you like he did with Moses and he will send you on a mission or a task or a job, whatever it is. We need to be working with him in whatever he is doing. And sometimes he will ask us to do incredible things and sometimes he will ask us to do very mundane things. And in Jeremiah 29, he instructs his people certainly to do the very normal, the very ordinary things, but to do it for him. God is the one, if we're going to work with him, he is the one who goes before us because we can't do it. We can't transform anyone. He is the one who goes ahead of us and he draws people to the Lord Jesus and he uses us in the process. What that means for us is, and I find this relieving, it means that we don't have to initiate and we don't have to push our agenda onto people. We simply have to be responding to what our Heavenly Father is doing. As he opens doors, as he provides the opportunity to witness, we simply need to follow his promptings and to grasp and embrace the opportunities that he presents to us. It's a skill that we can, certainly we need to understand it, but it's something we can develop in. Which leads to two questions. How do we know when God is at work in someone's life? How do you know? That's something for us to learn and discover. We're going to focus upon that this year. We're going to begin by looking through the Gospel of John because all the way through the Gospel of John you have Jesus making these sorts of statements. I only say what I hear my Father saying. I only do what I see my Father doing. And so as we work our way through the Gospel of John, that's going to be our filter to learn how did Jesus work? How did God work through Jesus? How did the Father work in the world to achieve his purposes? And we are to learn and to join him in that process. Second question, how do we recognise God's voice or God's promptings? And there are guidelines and there are cues. It's given to us in the scriptures. So how do I know it's God speaking to me and it's not just, you know, the spaghetti bolognese that I had last night repeating on me? How do I know it's him? Well, I think you can. Jesus talks about he is the good shepherd and his sheep know him and his sheep hear his voice. It's a metaphor, but it's not simply a metaphor. It's a picture of an experience which is to be ours, that God will speak to us primarily through his word, but not only through his word and never in contradiction to his word. If you feel God is telling you to do something that the Bible says you shouldn't do, then it's not God speaking to you. That's one of the clear ways you'll know it's God. It'll line up with the scriptures. 
Working with God is our theme. We have a diagram for this, and I show this just about every year, I think. Um, but it's something we created uh, yonks back, and it's a helpful demonstration of how God works in transforming people. It's a process. God can do things instantly. He can create the universe in six days. He can create the universe in six minutes. He can transform a life like that instantly. He can convert somebody who was addicted to drugs or alcohol and transform them instantly. He can, but he usually doesn't. He normally works this way, that he works in people's lives and he moves them from, what is it, left to right. Yes. The crosses in the middle is obviously the point of decision. So on the left of that are people who, two sorts of people, generally speaking, people who are either to the far left, who are far from God and they're not interested in God. Uh, whenever the conversation comes up, they could be mocking, they could be dismissing, they could be just resistant to it. You probably know people like that. I hope you do. And if you don't, if you don't know anybody like that, then please do this. Please ask God to lead you to somebody who is like that. At work, in your neighbourhood, in your community context, wherever. You need to be in touch with people who are not interested, who are opposed. You need to be salt and light around them and near them. And then there are people who are not quite like them. They're not believers yet, but they're interested, they're open, they might talk about it, they might come to a special service, they might come to Easter or Christmas. Um, they're open to the possibility of talking. Some of them are actually seeking. They want to know more about Jesus and what it means, and they might be talking to you about it, but they're not there yet. There are people like that, and I certainly hope you're having those sorts of conversations with people in your life. Not every day, but on a regular basis. I would pray that you would develop a hit list for Jesus to work on. People who are far from him and people who are seeking him and people in your family and your friends and your contacts and pray fervently for them on a daily basis. Then people come to faith in the Lord Jesus and then we move forward. It's not instant growth, but you're either a, grow, a new believer or a growing believer or ultimately you're mature in the Lord Jesus. You are what we would call a passionate follower of Jesus. And all of that, was, as I said, we're going to look at in time in the years to come question where are you on that journey perhaps you're before the cross if you are then i'm very excited that you're here today you are in exactly the right place where you need to be you need to be under the teaching of god's word you need to be rubbing shoulders with god's people you need to be open to the possibility of god touching your life maybe even today welcome if that's you maybe you're a new believer maybe you've been there for quite a few years and you just haven't grown. Well, we want to help you to grow. Maybe you are a growing believer, that you're in a life group and you're in a ministry and you're reading your Bible regularly and it might be up and down or something like that, but you're particularly you're open to learning the five purposes of, of God that he wants you to know and to be experiencing, to reach, connect, grow, serve and honour him in your life. Or perhaps... And for some of you, you're already at that last stage. You're at the mature end. You are passionate about Jesus. You know his word. You love his word. You love his people. You're involved in service. You're a person who is walking in obedience to him. Your heart is open to do whatever he wants you to do. You're actually living out the five purposes of how he made you. Well, if we are going to work with God this year as a church, individually and as a church, then we need to be listening so when we have our church prayer meetings, it's times not just for speaking, it's time for listening. Lord, what are you saying to us? When we have our members meetings, it's time to 
listen. What is the Lord wanting to say to us through the membership? We need to be teachable. We need to be submissive to whatever it is he's asking us to do. And some of those, as I've already said, might be um, easy and some of them might be quite challenging. We need to be obedient, to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves. We need to be learning how God speaks, um, how God works, responding to his prompts. We need to observe him and join him in what he's doing. We need to be responding. Why? Number one, because God is at work in the world. Lots of Bible verses talk about it. But that one, just to quote that one about Jesus, where he talks about, for my father is always at work, and so am I. John chapter 6. But God is not only at work in the world, God is also at work in us, as I've already said, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. This year we're going to focus on working with God. Have I said it enough yet? In previous years we uh, came up with one word, uh, grace or prayer or connecting or whatever. Well, this year, it's your job. This year, I invite you to come up with your own one word, which will encapsulate all that I'm going to teach you or talk about this morning. I've been thinking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and so I've come up with all different sorts of words already for myself, and I wrote about it in the bulletin, I think, and I used to like the word responding, because it sort of implied that I was either listening or looking or observing, and I was responding positively to what the Father was wanting. I've since moved to, I now like the word cooperating, and you can read that in the bulletin, why I like it. Um, that's my word, not your word. Our focus for this year is to be working with God. People, there is no substitute that we can offer that's going to satisfy or please God. Nothing else. Oh, I don't want to work with God, I want to go and do this. Mm. There's no substitute. We need to do this together. He is the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Is the heartache of Jesus, Luke 6, 46. There is not only no substitute, there are no exceptions or exemptions. You could be a new believer, you could be a growing believer, you could be a passionate follower. It's for all of us. If we are followers of the Lord Jesus, we are to work with him. And there is a beautiful passage, the one I read to you in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, which illustrates just one of hundreds of passages, thousands of passages, which illustrate for us how God works and what he wants us to do. As I've already indicated, it's a passage filled with hope and ordinariness, which is one of the reasons why I like it. But in Jeremiah 29, in this letter that is written to these people who are despondent, imagine you're in Babylon and imagine you are hearing this letter for the first time. You're in Babylon, you're not in Jerusalem where God's temple was, it's now been destroyed. You're in Babylon, you feel like you've been banished, you feel like you've been abandoned. You're living in pagan Babylon with all of their idols. You're complaining about their school systems. And you're complaining about their government. You're complaining about that. And you get this letter from the prophet Jeremiah, from the Lord, asking you to settle down, live normal lives, build houses, plant gardens, find a wife, have a family, raise the family, marry them off. I mean, find a husband and a wife or whatever. Invest in the place where you are. Pray for the peace of the city. You get that message. 
And that's the message that God's also sending to us, that he sent to his people back then. All of these things are summarised in that incredible one verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans, because he wrote the plan. What I need you to do is to cooperate with what I'm doing. How do you cooperate with what I'm doing? Build a house, plant a garden, marry the woman or him, have children, train them and disciple them. They're ordinary, isn't it? But you're doing it in cooperation with him. You're doing it for him. Maybe God hasn't called you to be married. Maybe he's called you to be single. Well, you're single for him. It's surrendering it all to him and allowing, inviting him and allowing him to work through you. God invites you not to be moaning and complaining about the place that you're in. God is saying to his people then and to us now, I want you to love this place, this community, this city. I want you to settle. I want you to raise families. I want you to start small businesses. I want you to invest in it. God sees it as a mission opportunity. They saw it simply as the result of judgment. So I hope that encourages you, wherever you are at, that God has placed you in the situation where he is. Here are six quick things to note out of this passage. Verse 4. Who put you there? God did. He put you there for a reason, a purpose. He's got a job to do. God's got a to-do list for them to do in Babylon, for you to do in the situation where he has placed you. Who is asking them to do this? To settle down, build houses, marry and have children and so on. He is the commander-in-chief himself, the Lord Jesus. I love that passage in Joshua chapter 5, where Joshua is just about, he's been given instructions by God, weird instructions, but Joshua is obedient to it. See, God speaks and he's responding and he's to march around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. And he's out examining the city before the first day's march the next day. And in the cool of the evening, suddenly there is a visitor ahead of him. He's in the valley below and he looks up and there is a person standing there whom I think is dressed in full armour with a sword drawn. And brave Joshua says, are you for us? Or are you against us? He thought it was one of the enemy or he didn't know who it was. And it turned out being a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus. It's the commander of the host. It's the chief himself. And Jesus says to him, my paraphrase, I haven't come to take sides, Joshua. I'm not for you or against you. I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. I'm in charge, not you. Just do what I want you to do. That's the one who is asking these people in Babylon to buy their houses and to settle down and to be good at their jobs. So, next question. What does he want them to do? Well, those things. Find a godly wife. Pray for it and look for it. Raise godly kids. Find partners for them. Generation after generation after generation. Assimilate in the society where you are. Identify with the culture. Be salt and light. That God has a plan for his people who are even in exile go about your normal life and verse 7 significantly he says and pray for the welfare the peace of the city he talks about what's translated as peace and prosperity in our english bible in verse 7 also seek the peace and prosperity of the city 
The Hebrew word is shalom. Shalom. And it's a word that we can't translate with one word into English. It's too broad a word. It's all-encompassing. Shalom is not simply the absence of conflict. Shalom is the presence of well-being, of health, of safety, of rest, of wealth or prosperity, of good things. There is order, there is harmony, there is wholeness, and there is happiness. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? And that's what God is saying to them. Also seek the shalom of the city. Not just your people, not just the church or the synagogue that they're in, but of the city. And that's what the Father is wanting us to do, to seek the shalom of Brisbane, and particularly of our community. Put your suburb name in there, whether it's Sunnybank or whether it's Stretton or whether it's Mount Gravatt or McGregor or Parkinson or Callumvale or Druvale, wherever. You put your name in. God has placed you where, he's, where you are to be this sort of a person, seeking the welfare of the city, cooperating with him. We are to be agents of shalom. God is with us. God is in us. God is for us. So as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus, it outlines for us the sort of people of who we are. Who put you here? He did. Who is asking us to do this? The Lord is. What is he asking us to do? Live your normal life under his kingship. Be a passionate follower of the Lord Jesus. Align your life. Watch what you watch on TV. Watch how you drive on the road. Watch how you treat your neighbours. Keep your place neat and clean. Be a good neighbour. Be an influence for him. We'll notice also that these people, when they received this message, were still in exile. And so are we. Exile here. Peter says to us, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to all God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Brisbane. Those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Strangers in the world in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. This year our focus, to work with him, to learn how he works, to listen to him and to learn more about that and to respond to his promptings and his leadings. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. There is going to be opposition. There is an evil one about. The Bible warns us, the Lord Jesus warns us. If they hated him or persecuted him, they're going to do it to you. The closer you draw to God, the more you're going to get resistance and response from the evil one. You will draw fire, so be prepared for it. There will be opposition. The evil one comes like a thief to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to take it away and if he can't take it away, then he wants to destroy it. And if he can't destroy it, then he'll kill it. He will oppose it. You will encounter criticisms and negative feedback and you will face difficulties. But the Lord Jesus was a friend of sinners and he invites you to do exactly the same. Well, for those guys, while they were still in exile, nonetheless, the promise that God gave them that their future was absolutely amazing. When 70 years are completed for you, I will come and I will bring you back. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. 
So too for us, the good news is our future is amazing. We live on the other side of that promise. God said that he would come to his people and he would bring them home. And well, God did come to his people and he did bring them home. And he came to those people on a very special visit in the person of the Lord Jesus. And we still await his return when he will take us home. What we need to do is to cooperate with him, to work with him in whatever it is that he is doing, to be agents of shalom. Our logo, which is the globe, the world, with a map of Australia because we're Australian, and it has an S which curls down and wraps around the globe. And the design of that is to communicate God's grace coming into the world and it comes through a local church. It comes through the message of the cross, it comes through the person of the Lord Jesus and the power of his resurrection. It's God's grace coming into the world through followers of the Lord Jesus, people working with him and encapsulating it. And in a response, the reverses and our praises go up to him. That's some of the meaning of what our logo is trying to, um, to visualise. This passage ends with not only a reminder of an amazing future, but with a wonderful promise in the meantime. And it needs a response. God gives the people an invitation. He says to them, verse 12, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. It's a wonderful promise that God invites them to press into knowing him. God invites you to know him. God invites you to be close to him. Not for things, but for him. God invites you to know him and to love him, to follow him, to become like him. To build your houses, plant your gardens, have your marriages, have your children, your grandchildren, and to pray for and to disciple them to know him begins with the family. It doesn't end there, but it begins there. That's not a responsibility you can handball to the church. But the church, other believers, come alongside you to assist you in the process of doing that. God wants us to respond to his invitation, to embrace this invitation, to know him passionately. If we're going to work with God this year, and that's our focus, and that's our mission, then we need to be listening, we'll need to be teachable, we'll need to be observant and submissive and obedient, we'll need to be learning and responding, my word, and cooperating, cooperating with him. That's our focus for 2015, working with him. There is no substitute and there are no exceptions. God put us here. He wants us to make a difference in this city, in our community. Pray for his blessing upon the city and the community. We may still be in exile awaiting the return of our king, but our future is amazing if we know and follow the Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, God invites us to seek him, to love him and to work with him to bring his kingdom into Sunnybank, into Stretton, into your suburb. Let's pray together.
Lord, you are the sovereign one. You are the one who has put us here. And you're asking us to settle in, to be committed, to make a mark, to build our houses, to strengthen our relationships, but most of all our relationship with you, and to be a blessing, a means of blessing into the community. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your shalom upon us and through us. We ask for your blessing upon our neighbours and our families. We pray that you'll give us good, righteous, strong government at all levels. That you'll give us safety and protection through the police and the armed services. We ask, Lord, for peace in the city. That the message of Jesus might go forth powerfully and that it might be received and lives might be transformed. Use us, Lord, to bring your kingdom into Sunnybank, into Streeton, into each suburb. We ask these things in the name of the King, the Lord Jesus himself. And everybody said... Yeah.